the following podcast is intended for adult audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The Iron Realm, Chapter 103, Secrets of Honan's Company. Sina Reeks made several notations on her map, her tentacles waving before her as she scrawled down the secrets given by Nora's tribe. Amazar peered over her shoulder as she worked, noticing that they had a record of the crystal room, and as his others dressed themselves in new clothing and armor, the wizard was poised to learn what the Thulians knew, getting their attention by purchasing several expensive rings of tiger's eye, silver, and gold. You have said, stated Amazar, that Honan's company has traveled freely betwixt the Eight Kingdoms. Yes, human. That is so. Might I assume that you do this by way of the teleport crystal? Indeed, you have assumed correctly, said the creature to the man. I see, said Amazar, strengthening his gaze upon the luminous, bulbous eyes of the other. I am well versed in such knowledge myself. I presume that a single touch is all that is required in order to activate the teleportation? Yes, said Veltaman cautiously. There are secret words that control one's destination. Without possession of these, the kingdom visited is left to chance. No one knows all of the commands, not as far as I have ever seen. Ah, I see, said Amazar. Perhaps you would be willing to tell the commands to me. What do you ask? Said Veltaman quietly. Is a carefully guarded secret. Amazar began to smile, pulling at his mustache with one hand and snapping his fingers with the other. The dwarves came forward at once into the hall with their treasure chest, opening it wide and revealing the many valuables that lay within. The Thulians crowded round the chest intently. Is that so? Smiled the wizard. I will have you know, Veltaman, that I am, as a matter of truth, very good at keeping secrets. Welcome, travelers. It seems that we've been fortunate indeed to encounter the Thulians in the maze. I'm geared up with a pair of hard boots, a suit of plate mail armor, and a strong weapon in my hand. Maybe for the first time, I have some optimism that we'll be able to face these goblins and win. But what of the war mentioned on the wind? It seems a time of killing has come. For the Goblin King wants to conquer all. The other kingdoms, no doubt, rising to challenge him. And as 
for our own small try, will we be caught between them? Are you looking for a D&D podcast with a dark side? Something more like Game of Thrones and less like Monty Python? Tale of the Manticore is part dark fantasy audio drama, part solo D&D RPG. There's no plot armor here. The dice make all the important decisions. Join me as I resurrect the excitement, wonder, and emotion of old-school D&D. Made for a mature audience, Tale of the Manticore is both a fiction and a game. It's the story where chaos rolls. The Iron Realm, copyright A.B. Lenzo, is an original dark fantasy delve into an infinite maze of stone. Find The Iron Realm at theironrealm.blogspot.com and on Apple Podcasts with even more bonus content to be found at patreon.com slash theironrealm. Travel all of you well in the maze, for I... Your Maze Master am with you in the light and in the dark. I, Meliora Henning, lend my cunning voice to the Iron Realm podcast. Find me online at Meliora Henning on Twitter or my website, MeliorahHenning.com. In addition to voice acting, I'm also an artist. And if you find yourself in the market to have your character beautifully illustrated, then I invite you to reach out, if you dare. Be you wary always of your descent into madness, for it stalks you always in the depths of the void and in the endless caverns of the Iron Realm. Maze Master's Wisdom, Wisdom, Wisdom. The tribe of Nora has actually become, over time, quite large. And some players of newer RPGs may understandably wonder about having a team of characters that is so large. Well, as it turns out, this is perfectly in keeping with the old school style of play where characters live and die fast by the sword. You'll definitely need all the allies you can get in order to survive. Even so, you'll notice that when I bring in characters that are friendly to the tribe, humans, halflings, dwarves, elves, unime, that these are always required to start at character level 1, so reinforcements of this kind may be possible on maze level 1, but will become increasingly, increasingly rare as the tribe eventually descends. In games of the classic style, it was commonplace for a party of adventurers to go back to the town and use their golden winnings to hire retainers, men-at-arms, and specialists in order to come into the maze with them. And of course, all such characters would serve as cannon fodder and frontline sacrifices against the various creatures, traps, and dangers of the dungeon realm. We've recently picked up another character, Tani, and it could be an advantage to have yet one more halfling 
along for the journey, but they are simply one more character level one adventurer, and as time goes on, the advantage of adding such low-level characters will be less and less, becoming eventually questionable as more serious threats are encountered. So always take your allies where you can, and as for me, my goal still remains to take one or more of the characters in the tribe to the maximum character level. Thanks for playing along, and I look forward to our coming adventures together in the Iron Realm. expert advice and strategies you need to win the world's first play-by-podcast mega-dungeon, along with the customizable gaming aids you need to record your progress in an invaluable adventure log format. The Iron Realm Dark Fantasy RPG campaign brings the focus back to where it belongs. Deadly danger traps, the unknown, dark dungeon, corridors, creatures, a desperate fight to survive in a world of utter darkness. In an audio drama unlike any other, you fight alongside the tribe against every dark fantasy horror that hides within the deepest reaches of the Iron Realm Infinite Mega Dungeon. And now, with the Iron Realm Adventure Log and Strategy Guide at your command, you will partake of this dangerous world, and where others have merely walked, you may yet conquer. For within these pages you are given the action, chapter by chapter, the clues, the expert advice, and the strategies you need straight from the game creator and into your hands. This is the Maze Master's deepest wisdom for securing the greatest treasures, taking advantage of the best tactics, and enjoying the richest role-playing that a fully loaded Iron Realm campaign has to offer. Yet this volume also serves as a comprehensive adventure log for the character that you create, including space for gaming stats, maps, logs, notes, challenges, profiles, histories, transcendent disciplines, powers, treasures, and much, much more. No longer will you have to fumble through a mess of pages at a critical life and death moment. All you need is here, in a handsomely compiled portfolio for your ease of use and enjoyment. The greatest adventure beckons you now from the dark. Find what you need within to play it as a solo or as a multiplayer delve beyond all imagining. The Iron Realm awaits. I, your Maze Master, will see you there. Find the Iron Realm Adventure Log and Strategy Guide at DriveThroughRPG.com. That's through with a U.
and enable your adult settings in order to see all the Iron Realm offerings. Give yourself the advantage of future sight and take you now this reasonably priced volume for less than you ever imagined. Get it in ebook form or in a soft cover format readily made to accept all your notes and role-playing too. Don't miss your chance. The Iron Realm Adventure Log and Strategy Guide is yours for the taking. Get it now, and look for future volumes too, coming soon to detail every chapter of the game. Thanks for supporting the show. May my newest offering please you all. Tribal Matters The spells available to the tribe, Kailana, Mystic Missile, Times 2, Amazar, Door Denial, Lilena, Illumination, Orson, Ventriloquist, Twyla, Hands of Healing, Nora has the power of her horn, and the power of the Silver Sword. Available also is the Sword of Heaven in Solus's hands. Some are yet wounded, Amazar, with 7 out of 8. Paola with 19 out of 20, and Marks with 15 out of 16. And so before the Thulians depart, they have indeed relayed the required incantation for the teleport crystal to Amazar. In fact, several incantations, each of which makes possible travel to each of five different kingdoms. And to the tribe's relief, one of these incantations is indeed the one they need to reach the Goblin Territory. Amazar takes some time to record these on a free page of his spellbook, while Marx takes a closer look at the gems that Honin's company has in their inventory, examining each one carefully in case one of these should be a fit for the Fist of Unther. The tribe, as they make their purchases and conduct their trades, also do learn what they can about the coming war spoken of by the Thulians. It is well known that the Gobs and the Hobbs have increased their forays into the former Beastman Kingdom called Alpha One, and they have landed makeshift regiments in strategic locations across this region. Room 19, Room 25, Room 21, Room 16, and Room 5. The fighters especially give their words special consideration. Perhaps it is only the traitors that are allowed to move freely between factions, and so this information is extremely valuable indeed. Hopefully, says Stockholm, if they're occupied in this venture, there may be regions of Gamma 1 that are less actively guarded than before. Let's hope you're right, replies Bardar, as he considers the possibility of the tribe of Nora's advantage. So in the prior episode, 
I suggested that the Thulians soon after departed following the purchases and negotiations by the tribe. But now I must concede that before I complete that action, I have to consider that the encounter actually did take a certain amount of time, probably an hour, before every facet of the trade and all communication may have been completed. And so, as described before, the Thulians of Honan's company extend far out into the hallway where they guard the far mouth in case of an approaching roaming creature. And so, speaking of roaming creatures, I'll say that three rolls total should be made in order to cover the time during which lights are lit, conversations are held, and both groups are unprotected by the shelter of an enclosed room. I've got the d6, and here come the rolls. A one immediately at 12.20 on the 12th day. There is a roaming creature that appears, but where? The Thulians are found most often on the deepest levels of the maze, though the ones that serve as traitors are more specifically referred to as Lesser Thulians. Even so, despite their name, each one is a three-dice creature, relatively powerful in comparison to most creatures that might be encountered on Alpha-1. Six Thulians have been positioned at 2320, the end of the hall, where they keep an eye out to the east and the west for anything that might approach. Regarding the roaming creature indicated, I shall determine its location relative to this spot so declared. Do they come from the east or the west? Indeed, it is the west. And what is the encounter distance? Looks like 40 feet. And are they coming around the corner beside room 10? Or are they coming down the straightaway? Looks like they're coming down the straightaway. Now, Thulians can certainly see in the dark, but the light that the tribe has lit spoils their ability to see any further into the gloom. Let's do a listen check for the Thulians. Though I'm only giving them half the normal chance to hear what is coming, and of course, no chance to see. Oh no, the Thulians will not be aware of what's approaching unless it is making quite a sound. I'm positioning the enemy at 2720. Now let us see what approaches. Oh here, there is a unit of skeletons on the approach. Nine of them, in all, a large number. Incredibly, each one possesses a two-handed sword, and although they are not perfectly silent, we will simply say that the skeletons will be out of the dark and upon the Thulians before anyone realizes what is happening. I'm going to rule that the skeletons will certainly not be surprised, since the Thulians are at the end of the hall, illuminated to their undead eyes. But will the Thulians be surprised? 
Oh, yes, yes. The dice show that they will be. The Thulians have an armor value of seven, wearing only normal clothing, but possessing an innate advantage as well. That means each skeleton is going to be 12 against the bulwark of Thulians at the end of the hall. I'm rolling the dice, looking for 12s. Two hit. Each of the first two skeletons strikes a different Thulian, and they are so surprised by the attack that there's nothing they can do as the two-handed blades swing down. One damage to the first Thulian, and ten to the other. Neither of these Thulians is felled, although one of them already appears quite close to death. Meanwhile, the tribe of Nora, at the moment, is probably too far away to get engaged in this combat, so it is time to roll the initiative. The skeletons. A three, and the lesser Thulians. A four. Brandishing flails and two-handed swords, the two Thulians that have already been struck launch an attack against the skeletons. In case you're setting up the board, here's a little more detail as to where the various players are. There are four Thulians at position 23-20, and there are two more Thulians at position 23-19. There are four skeletons at position 24-20, and four more at position 25-20, and yet, there is one remaining at position 26-20, all of them pushing forward towards the Thulians. Scenerites, Veltera, two of their merchants, and their beasts of burden are positioned north of the Thulians I've already described. Indeed, a couple of them are in room six, as are most of the members of the tribe of Nora. I'm going to ignore them for the moment as this combat unfolds, leaving the fight between the six Thulians I've mentioned already and the encroaching skeleton horde. So these skeletons have an armor value of 7, so a Thulian will require a roll of 10 in order to hit. Each of the lesser Thulians is allowed two attacks, one for the flail and one for the two-handed sword. These traitors are no strangers to combat, and they plan their formation perfectly before letting it unfold. Of those Thulians, at 23-20, the one on the lower right of that square attacks, and that's a hit, giving him a roll on the d10 with a two-handed sword, a one. The skeleton has not been felled, but here comes a second roll with the flail. Another hit, two more damage, and that skeleton keeps on fighting. Meanwhile, the Thulian in the northeast of that same square takes a swing at the one that attacked him. A nat one. Not only will he fail on his attack, but he will be allowed to take no attacks next round either. At 23.19, the Thulians that are there have pressed in towards the fight, and I see that at least one of them should have a chance to hit one of the approaching skeletons too. When his friend fumbles, he reaches in with his flail and two-handed sword as well. A nine is a miss. And a seven, another miss. His Thulian fellow on the same square 
holds his action, which will allow him to attack on the skeleton's turn if there is an opportunity available. And so what's going to happen is that the four Thulians at position 2320 will retreat to position 2220. And by doing this, we'll draw the skeletons into an unfavorable position. The skeletons, being mindless, act predictably, filling the vacuum and pushing in so that the first most amongst them now have all four positioned on square 2320, with yet four more behind them to the east, and then one more on the farthest square. When this happens, the Thulian that held his action will have an additional opportunity to strike at one of the skeletons. Here comes a swing. A 10 is a hit, and a nine damage slays that skeleton. He's not done yet. He takes an additional swing at the skeleton who is in the northeast corner of square 2320. A 10 is another hit, and another skeleton is dead. I'll say, of the skeletons on square 2320, there is only one left who has an attack, and that is the skeleton in the lower left corner. He stabs with his two-handed sword against the Thulian who is already failing. A three. That Thulian holds up a sword and a flail to defend himself, wending off the skeleton's attack. But at position 2420, there are four more skeletons coming, and that skeleton in the northwest corner of that square will get attacked diagonally against a Thulian at position 2319, and here comes the roll. 17! 9 damage! And that Thulian is skewered through the neck by the vicious blade. A new initiative roll. Round two. The Thulians. A two. And the skeletons. A six. Pressing their advantage, skeletons swarm in to fill the gap. There are now four skeletons at position 2320 and two skeletons at position 2420. There is also a single skeleton who has slipped to the north, stepping over the body of a dead Thulian to confront the other one at position 2319. At 2220, the Thulian in the upper right corner of that square is attacked. The skeleton misses. Meanwhile, the Thulian on that same square is also attacked by one skeleton. And it is a miss. The Thulian at 2319 is attacked by two skeletons. And one of them hits! But it is not a strong hit, and the damage is only one. At this point, the Thulians will need to make a bravery check since one of the tentacled creatures has been found. Thulian bravery is a nine. Rolls a five, opponent's company fights on. It's time for the Thulian counterattack. Let's start at position 2319. The Thulian swings with his two-handed sword. A six is a fail, but another swing with the flail. A seven, another miss. This Thulian moves to the upper right corner of that square in order to make room for a friend to come through. The Thulian who was at the upper right corner of position 2220 moves over to take his place. He's the one that's denied an attack this turn, but he'll be ready for round three. 
Meanwhile, that Thulian's position is filled in by the Thulian that was just behind him. And the one that takes his place can attack and attacks the skeleton in the upper left corner of square 2320. And here comes the attack. A nat one. Oh, and this Thulian two is somehow disadvantaged and will be unable to make any other attacks this round or next. On that same square, there's only one Thulian left who has an attack, and here it is. An eight and a 17. The flail flies, and the skeleton in the lower left corner of position 2320 is slain. I'm going to rule that by this time, Amazar, who is in the hall with Veltaman, has certainly raised the alarm, calling specifically for Len to hurry to the front. Round three, the Thulians. A six, the tribe of Nora. Another six, and the skeletons. A three. Fortunately, Len is not far away and has made it into the hall, holding both the carved horn and her bone cross. The light in the hall has shined upon her, and gradually, as the Thulians fight to hold the front, those skeletons turn their sightless eyes upon her, flooded with the righteous glory of God, which shines through her like a miracle. Len has encountered skeletons before, but she has gained much power since that time. The skeletons look upon her, and there is no chance this time that they can resist. I'm rolling 2d6 to see how many dice shall be exiled automatically. And the roll is 10! All the remaining skeletons are forced to flee, each of them screaming away into the dark. 90 level points for the skeletons. Sadly, one of the Thulians has not survived. His gear is stripped away and added to the inventory upon one of the beasts of burden. That beast eerily begins to feast upon his carcass. And this is permitted as the Thulians continue to execute their business. And six Thulians again are stationed at position 2320 in case the skeleton warriors should try to return. That was 12.20 a.m. on the 12th day of Sakaris. Let's have two more rolls to make it to 1 a.m. and see if this is the last the group has seen of roaming creatures during their negotiation. A roll, a six, another roll, a four. Two more rolls show that the negotiation is not interrupted again. And following this, the try will bid their benefactors and protectors farewell, seeing them leave before spiking themselves again into room six. Be you wary always of your descent into madness, for it stalks you always in the depths of the void and in the endless caverns of the Iron Road.